This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. And welcome everybody to another Tiny Toons episode of the Animaniacast. We will never finish the show if we keep getting interrupted. Okay, okay. Lars, hold all calls. Uh-oh. What? It's Stephen. He's holding on line four. Stephen who? You know Stephen who? Our boss, the guy with the beard. Oh. Well, what does he want? I don't know. But Lars says he's not happy. <laughs> And welcome once again to the Animaniacast. We are the only podcast out there that's dedicated to the animated cartoon series Animaniacs. And we talk about, of course, nothing else. Today we're going to be talking about another episode of Tiny Toon Adventures. Wait. Oh, okay. So, yes, we do talk about other stuff now. Whatever. Uh, we're going to be revisiting all the cultural references and gags that we can find. And, of course, in the end... We're going to give this episode of Tiny Toon Adventures a Water Tower rating. I am Joey, and joining me once again from Los Angeles, it's my brother, Nathan. Oh, uh, looks like I got a run, guys. Perry Fisher is calling from Paris. <laughs> I wish. And across the country in Georgia, it's Kelly. You know, if Steven Spielberg called me from the 405, I would not give the phone to Sneezer to answer. <laughs> no. No, no matter how angry you might thought he might be, which, come on, does, does Stephen get angry like that? Well, I don't know. I, don't, does, I couldn't say, care? but he seems very mild-mannered, but I mean, I don't know what he's like on the set. <laughs> I've never heard any bad stories, unless you count Shia LaBeouf and we don't talk about him. Exactly. He's, that's an exception <laughs> to the rule. Uh, Shia is just an exception to everybody's rules. But anyway, enough about that. Today, of course, we're going to be Jumping ahead in the Tiny Toons timeline, the Triple T, <laughs> we're going to be... We first just talked about the premiere episode of Tiny Toons a few weeks ago. But today, Kelly had free choice. So, of course, she decided to jump all the way to episode 81 <laughs> of Tiny Toons. It was the third episode of the third season of Tiny Toons entitled Foxtrot and it includes some wraparound segments with Buster and Babs being chased by two foxes and it has three main segments My Brilliant Revenge Can't Buy Me Love and of course one of Kelly's favorite segments the reason we're doing today's episode (laughs) Phone Call from the 405 so, if uh, someone were to ask you about this episode in a few words, what would you tell them, Nathan? Uh, this is like Kelly's favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Kelly? I would say it's my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, tell us, when did episode 81 of Tiny Toon Adventures first premiere? All right, so this episode premiered on a Wednesday. It was uh, September 16th of 1992, which was uh, the same day that the American singer, actor, and producer Nick Jonas was born in Dallas, Texas. Um, It was one day before Frank Zappa made his final professional public appearance, where he conducted the Ensemble Modern at the Frankfurt Festival in Germany. Um, And it was two days before the release of the movie Captain Ron. Oh, Captain Ron. Yes, that would be your highlight. <laughs> I like Captain Ron. That's a good movie. That's with Martin Short and, uh, oh, God, who's, who plays Is that? it Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell, yeah. Yeah. And then that's a weird movie because <laughs> Martin Short actually plays the straight man in that one for once. I mean, he's still a little wacky and everything, but he's like the straight-laced uh, family guy in that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kurt Russell's the the wacky sea captain with one eyeball 
there's a great scene chasing a glass eyeball. I remember that's <laughs> that was very funny. Watch out for the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh yes, the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> the Pirates of the Caribbean. What's this? Monopoly. No, this. Two forty-fives and a Mac Ten. It's this total matcha trip, Dad. Just ignore it. Where'd they come from? Captain Ron traded the grills for him. Yeah, I thought we ought to have him, boss, because you know we're getting into pirate waters here pretty quick. What pirates? Pirates of the Caribbean. Been to Disney World one too many times, have we, Captain Ron? It's true, Dad. They come up on you on high-speed boats. You know, I don't believe I've ever been to Disney World. Oh, really? I've been to Hollywood. And there's also, I remember watching that as a little kid, that there is a brief scene of, like, I think the the character of the mom is, like, topless for a few seconds. Mm, <laughs> which yeah, is, I think so. Which is such a weird thing, because it's such a family film. And to have a, a brief bit of nudity is just... That's just how it was in the 80s and 90s, you know? They really did. They put in all sorts of comedies and stuff. Just the the gratuitous topless shot. Yeah, and it made made no difference to the the movie at all. One time, my grandmother wanted to go to the movies, and so my brother and I wanted to see, I think it was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I think it was the sequel. And she and my dad were like, no, we're going to go see Doc Hollywood with the Michael J. Fox. And I don't even remember if that was a comedy or not. But we saw that, and there was a topless scene, and I only remember it because my grandmother was scandalized. Yes. <laughs> and it was so, and she was this little lady, and she little lady, and she she would say stuff like, "Oh, my stars and garters." <laughs> we were dying. We were dying. It was so funny because she was just absolutely horrified. Yeah, I remember. I remember Doc Hollywood. Yeah, that was that was. I remember that scene. Boy, oh boy, adolescent Joey was very. <laughs> Very memorable scene where she's jumping into the lake, I think, or coming out of the lake. That's it. Well, she's coming my, out of the lake. my brother and I were my brother and I were like, "Well, you, we, we should have gone to see Bill and Ted." I told you, I told you. Oh, eighties and nineties films. You see, and we don't have that problem today. I don't think with films anymore. If it's PG thirteen, you're probably not going to see anything that's scandalous, and certainly not P- PG. You know who we have to thank for the PG thirteen rating, Mister. Steven Spielberg. Thank you. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get straight into today's episode. And before we talk about the main segments, I guess we should point out that there are these wraparounds with these foxes chasing Buster and Babs around. Uh, and they point out that they're on the Fox Network now. And so these are the Fox News, ex- not Fox News. There was no Fox News at this time. But uh, the Fox <laughs> executives who were there to help make their show even better. Yeah, right. It could be worse. We could be stuck on the Peacock Network. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of a cute thing. And obviously, we're, this whole chasing around bit is going to be paid off at the end with uh, 405. But uh, just something of note, I suppose. Let's go ahead and get into our discussion of the first segment, and it is My Brilliant Revenge. And My Brilliant Revenge was written by Peter Hastings, and it was directed by Ken Boyer. And in My Brilliant Revenge, uh, let's see, this is basically uh, Hampton Pig is settling down to watch his favorite... (laughs) show the show that he's been really waiting for swine search and unfortunately right before he's about to find out who wins the the best model pig or whatever uh this horrible bagpipe music is coming out and actually it is so horrible that it's it stinks it literally stinks it's plucky duck his music is so bad that it makes Sweetie Bird throw up, <laughs> hatch. <laughs> Apparently, Sweetie Bird like cra- hatches every morning for whatever reason. Uh, but she throws up, and then when he goes outside of Hampton's house, he plays so loud and so horribly that he can't hear who wins. And Hampton tries blocking it all out, but of course, it doesn't work. You don't mind. I'm trying to watch the most crucial television event of my life. Will you please keep it down? 
You mean you don't want me to get into the acne all-bagpipe band? It's not that. You want me to stop practicing and suffer the burden of mediocrity? Of course not, I just... You want me to ignore the money I spent on this rental? Eventually he misses the whole, you know, who won the main competition. So he gets so upset, he goes outside to Plucky's bagpipe and rips it up into a million pieces. Poor bagpipe. I knew ye well. So help me, Hampton J. Pig. I'll get revenge! He decides to go into Hampton's house when Hampton is away, and he puts a little booby trap. Basically, when Hampton sits back down, this tape of bad bagpipe music is going to play not at 10, but just like Spinal Tap, he puts up his speakers all the way to 11. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. He goes to his house, and he sees that there's a note from Hampton. And it says, go meet me in the park. So Plucky thinks, well, this is going to be a fight. So he wants a showdown, a duel, a grudge match, a provoked altercation. <laughs> well, what have I got to lose? I've still got my brilliant revenge. So he goes off to go fight Hampton. In fact, he, there's a whole boxing ring and everything where they're ready to fight. And <laughs> Plucky pumps himself up like Rambo. And I, I'm, it had, I had thoughts of Particle Man in my head. Me too. Uh, but he did it. He didn't do it during Particle Man for whatever reason. But he he did pump himself up by uh, inhaling a lot of air for whatever reason. This time, made himself really big. Even brought like a little cannon to blow Hampton away. And Hampton is not there to fight. He's just there to apologize for ripping up Plucky's bagpipes. And in fact, he gives Plucky. A brand new bagpipe. I'm sorry. Here, I got you new bagpipes. That's not fair. You can't apologize. I'm still angry. <laughs> don't make me right. I don't want to be right. Of course I am right. But I want to be mad. <laughs> I want my brilliant revenge. <laughs> well, Plucky suddenly flashes to realize that, oh no, there's still that that timer that's set to go off when Hampton and when Hampton comes back to his house. So he realizes he's got to, you know, take, get rid of the bomb, get rid of the bagpipe bomb. Unfortunately, when he goes to turn off the bomb, it goes off anyway. Which sends Plucky burst against the wall. In fact, he, it hurts him so bad that his bones fly out of his body. I'm the sorry one. I'm I'm sorry I made you miss your favorite show. Oh, that's okay. I taped it anyway. Which then proceeds to make Plucky chase Hampton down the road, uh, holding the VHS tape over his head, so he's going to hit him with the tape. So we got to see analog tapes. Yes, kids, this is what we had to use before, you know, DVRs and, and everything like that. We had to use VHS tapes and mm-hmm. uh, and cassette tapes to record our music and play it back. It's true. That's it's- how I taped this episode and watched it over and over again. <laughs> well, there's our first segment. Uh, let's go ahead and just run down, <laughs> I suppose, some of the cultural references. Obviously, the, the biggest one was probably Star Search. Today, the grand finals here on Swine Search. I was a little shocked. I mean, for you kids out there, you may not know what the heck Star Search is or who Ed McMahon is. It who, was like American Idol for a wider uh, 
It wasn't just singing. Yeah, it, American it, Idol, but but not just singing. Yeah, it was. It was like Rosie O'Donnell. I know made her premiere on there, and you know, as a comedian, so it it had all different types of uh, of things. It was really the premise of it. Really was like we are looking for Hollywood stars. <laughs> Hollywood, it's the world's greatest talent competition. It's Star Search with your host, Ed McMahon. Joining Ed tonight from Gimme a Break, Nell Carter. From St. Elsewhere, Mark Harmon. And last week's returning Star Search champions from Decatur, Alabama, four time dance camps, Mark and Laura Sellers. From Milford, Connecticut, Deborah Chevalier. From Los Angeles, Brad Garrett. From Nashville, Jessica Boucher. From Toronto, Dorothy Gula. From Nashville, four-time champ Sawyer Brown. And ten-time champ Sam Harris. All going for a million and a half dollars. And the title, Best New Stars for 1984. And now the star of Star Search, Ed McMahon. Do you remember watching Star Search at all, Nathan? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. See, I was a little shocked Like when I saw that Hampton was watching this during the day and i was going that's kind of weird is that really what happened then i realized it was a syndicated show at least it was Mm -hmm. i believe in tucson it came on saturday morning yeah Yeah, which is so weird in retrospect now like it goes against where you would usually show a an america's got talent or a an american idol kind of show you would you would want to show that at nighttime not during the day but yeah it, it matches that's exactly when star search was so yeah, Swine Search also plays during the day when people are out playing bagpipes. It makes perfect sense. A few little quick things I noticed about Hampton's house. Number one, his animation looked kind of crazy. I don't know about you guys, but when he's biting those, he has a pile. He has piles and piles of sandwiches all around his chair. <laughs> I mean, he is a he is a pig. He lives in a very. I love how every house next to him is like a pigsty house, and he has the neat little house right in the middle of it because he's such a neat little pig um and he stacks his little sandwiches up so neatly and he's eating pie but whenever he eats his teeth kind of go crazy and they get you know like big gaps in his teeth to make him look he look kind of crazy to me but whatever he almost looked like his uncle stinky actually from <laughs> how i spent my summer vacation a little bit but mm. i did notice one weird thing not really i don't know if it's a very strong connection but hampton has a theme that plays when he enters. And to me, it sounded a lot like a certain Skippy and Slappy cartoon that uh, you may remember from a while ago. And that is uh, Bumby's mom's theme or the Bumby's theme, basically. You know, the Bumby, Bumby the, the dearest dear. Yeah. Bumby the dearest dear, deep in the darkest forest he grew. Bumby. His mother, the only friend he knew. No, I don't know that at all. Yeah, it, listen to the episode again, and when Hampton comes in, you could almost sing Bumby the Dearest Dear when he comes <laughs> in. I'm just like, wow, that's that's a. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, but I, I definitely heard that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, there's, there's a cubist joke in there. Did you guys understand what that was all about? When Plucky got hit out and he said, Plucky, are you okay? And can you hear me? And he says, um, no, I'm cubist or something. Yeah. What, what, I, I mean, I know cubist is a type of art, but, yeah. but I didn't get it though. The, the Picasso did the cubist artwork and. So he would draw um, people and things and these really wacky shapes. And, um, you know, it was a form of uh, surrealism. Right. So is the reason that Plucky couldn't hear him or whatever is because his ears were in the wrong place or something? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Sure. That joke was like a little too, I mean, I got it, but I didn't get it at the same time. Art can't hear you, Joey. (laughs) So there (laughs) so there stop talking to paintings okay okay i'm sorry (laughs) uh anyway that's uh, you know other than 
a few other cool things, like the animation was kind of cool, and there's a cool point of view shot from Hampton's point of view with his hands reaching out to grab Pucky's uh, bagpipes. Uh, that's about it for me. What do you guys think about this episode? Do you, do you see any references that I missed or any parts that you really liked? Uh, Nathan? There, there's there's a reference in um, on the wiki. It says that when Hampton says darn, darn, triple darn, could be a reference to uh, drat, drat, double drat, which is uh, something that the Hanna-Barbarian uh, villain Dick Dastardly says. And uh, Don Messick also did Dastardly's voice, so it, it would make sense if it's a reference to that. He did so many voices for Hanna-Barbera. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Scooby-Doo and Astro and Boo-Boo and Muttley and, uh, like you were saying, Dick Dastardly. Uh, or Dirk Dad- Dastardly. I'm not exactly sure what his name is. Something, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> uh, he he was just just a iconic uh, guy. But it's so cool to, that he was, even though he's in his 60s, he could still have such a um, kind of a high-pitched voice in uh, in these episodes. Such a young voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, Hampton's voice is so cool. You can definitely hear kind of boo-boo in that um, yeah. but his range to be doing like deeper things like you know astro and scooby-doo uh and it just is amazing to me but whatever uh kelly what are, what are some things that uh stood out for you i thought the whole thing like the, the whole cartoon i'm like why didn't he tape the thing and then it turns out that he did <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, but it also was kind of annoying because I was like, "You're so stupid! You didn't, you didn't tape your show." Like I learned how to set and record programs while I was at school when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I I kid you not. Like we were taping the Ewok Adventure off TV. We we used the VCR for literally everything, and um. We went through a lot too, and and like I would tape every episode of Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, and then I would convert them into another tape so I could save the episodes I wanted to keep and take out the commercials. Yep. So, um, I was I should have been an editor apparently, um, but <laughs> but it's really tedious, and I I didn't like it that much um, when I took video production. But yeah, that I mean. It was kind of funny. It was a, it was a funny punchline, but I was just like yelling at the screen, like, "Why didn't you tape it?" <laughs> I I I like editing. Go figure. I'm doing you know edit this podcast all the time, but I was like video <laughs> that's, that's and audio. That's why you do the editing. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Well, let's put it this yeah, way: I put up just... with editing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hampton should have just turned up the TV louder too. He could have just you know. Try to drown it out that way. It was so loud, Nathan, and it smelled. I mean, (laughs) it was not only loud, but it was also stinky. He stinks. It stinks. It stinks. Anyway. Your music's bad, and you should feel bad. (laughs) Simpsons. No. What? Isn't that from The Simpsons? That's Futurama. Oh, I'm so close. Kind of close enough. It's a, it's a, that was Zoidberg who said that, though, yep. right? Your music's bad and you should feel bad. There you go. I know. I thought it was, for some reason, Grandpa Simpson, which I just, we were just reading the Disney Plus uh, uh, press release that all of the Simpsons will be on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And I hope Futur- Futurama or... should probably be there too, right? Because that was a Fox property. I don't know. Is it on FX um, Plus or whatever? I don't know. FXX? I, 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 don't, I don't know, know where if it's, it's, if it's streaming anywhere right now. Yeah, exactly. So it I don't was know. on Netflix for a while, and I think it might have gone over to Hulu. But, of course, Disney owns most of Hulu as well. So, I don't know. Disney owns everything. Everything. I think yep. that's what we should basically say at the end of every episode now. Instead of goodnight, everybody, just say, Disney owns everything. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just a we reminder. Be brought to you by Disney. <laughs> exactly. I'm Sir Chops a lot. I've lost control for these little raviolis in this great big bowl. You're the chomp. It's a ravioli romp. You're the chomp. 
Keep your feet up to stump. Do the chomp. Do the chomp. Do the chomp. New Chef Boyardee serves chomps a lot. Bite-sized beef or cheese ravioli so good, you just gotta... Do the chomp. Excuse me. While I jump. Thank goodness for Chef Boyardee. It's time to tune the adventure. Bunny yummy. Bunny yummy. Okay, Disney like one bunny surprise coming up. Oh no. Yes, it's Tiny Tune Adventures starring Buster Bunny. Talk to me, I'm all ears. And Babs Bunny. Are you my special friend? Totally. And the real star, Mr. Bunny's Malachi Duck. Hey, don't forget Hampton. Big yummy. Get the hook. Hot oh. Tiny Tunes and Talking Tiny Tunes sold separately from Play School. Let's go ahead and get to our next segment, and it is entitled, Can't Buy Me Love. And Can't Buy Me Love was written by Deanna Oliver, and it was directed by Ken Boyer. It was nice to see Deanna Oliver's name show up again, since I was used to saying her name in the uh, Animaniacs episode. So, same thing with Peter Hastings, by the way. Peter Hastings, of course, written, you know, wrote uh, some of Pinky and the Brain's best episodes. Well, tell us, Nathan, what happens here in Can't Buy Me Love? All right. Well, we have um, Elmira. Uh, she's playing outside uh, with uh, her pet cat, Furball. And she notices she has a new neighbor. And the girl comes over, and Elmira wants to be her friend. And this girl, um, she says, call me Queen. Call me Queenie. Her name's Rhoda Queen, I guess. Um, and she calls Elmira Butthead, even though that is not Elmira's name. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Who are you, Butthead? <laughs> That's not my name. My name is Elmira. Elmira uh, will do pretty much anything to be her friend, so she gives Elmira her bow on top of her head. Um, she uh, then, like, has to give her all the all of her money from her piggy bank that she breaks open and they go see a movie um and there at the movie uh rhoda tries to hit on montana max who elmira says is her boyfriend not rhoda queens isn't that your boyfriend oh yeah queen that's my monty wanty hey montana max can i sit with you elmira says she's not your girlfriend anymore Get lost, Braidhead! He is cute. I didn't say I'm not his girlfriend, Queen. If you really like me, Elmira, you will say it. Say it or I'll never, ever, ever talk to you again, butthead! Uh, I... I'm not his girlfriend. Still, Rhoda's like, you go get popcorn, and then we come back when, um... Even though Elmira spent all her money, she... Buys a nickel worth of popcorn, um, which is like comes back three kernels <laughs> worth of popcorn. <laughs> I think. Which, in reality, when you're buying popcorn, you're really paying for the container of the popcorn. It's <laughs> where it's what costs the movie the theater more money than the popcorn. But uh, whatever, not in, not in uh, Tiny Toons Land, whatever. <laughs> um, when uh, Elmira comes back into the movie theater, uh, Montana Max is pouring cherry coke all over Rhoda. Uh, Queenie. Um, and then uh, so Queen gets really upset and uh, says we're leaving. Um, and that's when uh, they get home and she's uh, they find the cat. They're playing with the cat and uh, Rhoda Queen saying that she always wanted a cat. And she says, Amira, give me your cat and I'll be your best friend. And then Amira is like, No, that's my that's my baby. Um, and then. <laughs> Uh, basically says uh, that they're not going to be friends anymore. Who cares? I never liked you anyway. I got the most beautiful kitty, the most cuddly, wuddly kitty in the whole world. I'll be your best friend for all the days if you really like me and give me a million billion hugs. Wait. You don't have to give me anything. Friends just like each other, and they don't have to give each other anything if they don't want to. And that just means they didn't feel like giving something just to get a friend. The end. 
And then um, outside, uh, Queenie's saying, like, hey, I'll be your best friend if you just steal your mom's car keys and drive me to Utah. And uh, Myra says that's a good idea and runs off. So that's how the episode ends. That line made me laugh out loud right there. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'll be your best friend again if you get the car keys from your ma and drive me to Utah. Okay. <laughs> well, um, let's see. Okay. Cultural references. Uh First of all, there's uh, uh, that Rhoda Queen, whatever her name is, uh, looked so weird with that little smile, and I couldn't quite place it. But I, I think she might be influenced somehow by like that that weird, creepy doll on the Twilight Zone. You know the one that they parodied later in The Simpsons with the Krusty the Clown doll? That's like the killer doll or something like that. I think that's the one. But anyway, that that weird face, she just looked a lot like the 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 Twilight Zone doll to me. Maybe not a connection, but whatever. Uh, but really, the biggest cultural reference is probably the Schlocketeer in the movie theater, which, of course, is a parody of the Rocketeer. Instead of the Rocketeer, though, it's Calamity Coyote, and he just, you know, he's shooting around the place and falling down. The Rocketeer has an amazing soundtrack, by the way, by the late, late James Horner. Ah, okay. Well, the, I was going to mention the soundtrack that they were playing in the theater sounded didn't quite sound like the Rocketeer. It sounded a little bit like the Superman theme um, to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was not really Rocketeer like. No, it's. I was like, I, the second or third time I was watching, I was just listening, you know, to it. I was like, this almost sounds like the Superman theme is about to, you know, boot up, but it doesn't quite. Uh, have either of you, um, Kelly? You've seen Rocketeer? The movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I um I I got a when it came out on um I guess it was Blu-ray. I got a, a review copy, so there's a review on Big Shiny Robot. Plug, shameless plug. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd never seen the movie. Um, I think at least all the way through. I've seen you know it was like one of those movies that I would try to catch on cable, and I'd only see like ten minutes of, and I go, no, I want to see it from the beginning. And then I'd never catch it from the beginning, but yeah, I used to watch it on the Disney Channel. Yeah, it it just it seems like it's right up my alley though, because I love Indiana Jones and cereals, and I love cereal because it's delicious. And, Yum. And <laughs> but I've never seen Nathan. Have you seen The Rocketeer? I've seen parts of it. I think I started it. I feel like I saw the beginning of it and then parts of the middle of it, but you know, I never. Because, like, a commercial will come on, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to watch a commercial. I want to watch Rocketeer. And <laughs> that's what happens. So, Well, the director of the Rocketeer, um, do I forget his name. What's his um, – let me look it up here real quick because he has importance. Joe Johnston. Joe Johnston directed um, Honey, I Shrunk a lot the of things. Yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji. He directed the first Captain America film, and I believe he's responsible for – the look of Boba Fett. I think he helped design Boba Fett's costume. So, you know, Joe Johnson's, uh, I really want to see him get back into star Wars in some, some way, some manner. And Joe Johnson also directed an episode of young Indiana Jones Chronicles. If I recall correctly, it's the, um, Princeton 1916 episode, which would be when young Indy's in New Jersey and he meets Edward Stratemeyer of the um, Stratemeyer Syndicate, which launched the characters of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And he met Thomas Edison. And uh, it was a really good episode. Yeah. I mean, all were, but that one in particular, I got really excited because I learned <laughs> that Nancy Drew was not written by a woman named Carolyn Keene because that woman didn't exist. Ah. So that's why Simon Schuster never like wrote back to my letter written to Carolyn Keene when I was in elementary school because she doesn't <laughs> exist. So lesson learned. You know who still does exist though? Is um Beverly Clary. She's still alive. She just celebrated I her hundred and third birthday, I wanna say. Love her. My mom I mean, bless her heart. 
my uh, my teacher loaned me a Ramona Quimby book in second grade, and I read it like in one day and turned it back in. I said, "Where's the others?" And she's like, "Oh no, that's the only one I had." So my mom had to take me to the library, and we proceeded to check out every book written by Beverly Cleary. Once I got through the Ramona books, I went through like the Henry, is it Higgins or Huggins? Huggins, and I, yeah. <laughs> Huggins, and I read um, uh, Rigsby the dog. Mm-hmm. I read all of them. I think I have a first printing of Ribsy somewhere. Wow. Yeah, I found it. I found it in a in a donated book uh, pile, and I was like, I'm keeping this. Uh, yeah, I love Ramona. She was so cool. Well, speaking of uh, transitioning to the cartoon, uh, Ramona was a kid around Elmira's age, and so Elmira... <laughs> is, uh, you know, I really felt a lot of sympathy for Elmira in this cartoon. Uh, she has, first of all, we got to mention the awesome song that she sings with the string, the string song when <laughs> she has poor furball on, on this uh, marionette, uh, you know, contraption. Oh, my best friend is a puppy kiss on a string, on a string. Which, yeah, I feel I feel so sorry for the you know furball especially because he gets I think the brunt of all the abuse that Elmira puts animals through. But it's not like she's meaning to abuse the animals, right? She just loves them so much. Yeah, it's that love that she gives is. <laughs> she just needs to lo- know her boundaries. That's the thing. Right. So I don't know. Poor Elmira. Uh, but I did feel a lot of sympathy for her, especially because Queenie was just so horrible in this one. Uh, and Queenie does not look good with a blue bow on her head and then two bows on her braids. It was just kind of overkill. And they didn't match. It just looked bad, Queenie. I'm sorry. But whatever. But were there any <laughs> uh, any uh, other uh, moments in this uh, cartoon that you uh, particularly uh, liked there or stood out? I thought the little girl actually looked like the kid in the Bad Seed movie. Oh, okay. Um, I couldn't remember the name of it. I had to look it up. But I was like, blonde braid girl horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, it brought it up. I was like, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. That I've never it. seen it. But it's one of those older ones, I think, black and white, and um, you'll see it crop up in a lot of like horror um, countdown lists or um, montages, compilations, that sort of thing. You hit him with the shoes, didn't you? You hit him with the shoes. That's how he got those half-moon marks on his forehead and on his hands. Answer me, Rhoda. Answer me! I hit him with the shoes. I had to hit him with the shoes. What else could I but do? you realize that you murdered him? But it was his fault. If he gave me the medal like I told him to, I wouldn't have hit him. Rhoda, what happened to old Mrs. Post in Wichita? There was ice on the steps, and I slipped and fell against her. And that was all. That was all? No. I slept on purpose. And um, so she reminded me of that. So that was creepy. And then, like you, I I had a lot of sympathy for Elmira, too. um, Particularly because I was like her when I was a little girl. And, you know, I'd have girls that I'd want to be friends with. And I'm like, oh, you have to do this to be our friend. And. And I would do it because I didn't know any better. And um, it was a really toxic environment. And um, it took me a long time to learn, you know, who I should be friends with and not those kinds of people. Um, But, you know, they were cool and they were smart and I wanted to be like them. And uh, but they were awful human beings. Yeah, I really got the feeling that this episode was almost it was it almost felt a little too direct, you know, with Elmira talking to Furball, like, I get it now. You don't have to do all this and, you know, to be your friend. And the end. Um, 
But then she turns around and agrees. I mean, that sort of undermines the lesson. Totally. But that's why I love that. <laughs> that's why that joke at the end made me laugh so much because it really felt like, okay, kids, here's the lesson of today. And then Elmira just goes right back to being Elmira again. She's so gullible. Um, well, I think it's just something she was going to do anyways. She was already going to steal her parents' keys and go to Utah. So, so well, Elmira's not the e- the thing is, and the thing is, I know we talked about this last time we were talking about the villains. I never really quite see Elmira as a villain. Um, she's the antagonist, but certainly not should not be locked up in a villain's box. Montana Max, however. Boy, oh boy. First of all, there's no one in this movie theater. They must have been uh, like a weird showing, cause, or maybe the cheap theater, because there's only th- these two girls and Montana Max together. And when uh, Queenie sees Montana Max and is like, ooh, who's this guy? I was thinking, oh, God, like, please don't let these two grow up and get, you know, have kids, because how horrible would these children be? Like, <laughs> put Queenie and Montana Max together. No way. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, Nathan, any moments in this that kind of stood out for you? Um, I like that uh, Elmira is so trusting and loving, but yeah, I just it is a little just uh, too real. I kept feeling really sorry for her, but <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just my overall. I don't, I don't think there's anything in particular that I pops out of me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go ahead and get to our last segment then, and of course, it is. Phone call from the 405. Phone call from the 405 was written by Tom Ruger, and it was directed by Ken Boyer. And Kelly, here it is. Tell us what happens here in Phone Call from the 405. Phone Call from the 405 is amazing. Um, Buster and Babs are... They bring back the the wraparound and... and um, plays into this uh, segment or, you know, I guess this is the end part of the wraparound. So we've got the Fox sensors and they're um, chasing Buster and Babs, but then they get a phone call and somebody named Lars is on the line and, you know, Babs says, let's, let's hold all the calls. And uh, Lars is like, well, it's Steven and he's not happy. And Buster says, Stephen who? She's like, our boss, Stephen? You know, the guy <laughs> with the beard. And, um, and of course, we all know who Stephen is. I mean, hello. So uh, they, uh, they don't want to talk to him because he's not happy. And so they decided to let Sneezer talk to him because they, they said Stephen thinks he's cute. And so Sne- Sneezer gets the phone and he's like, oh, hi, Stephen. Oh, hi. Yeah. Oh, so that scene didn't work for you. Okay, well, you know, we'll we'll get Buster and Babs on the phone and then we'll do it again. You can tell them how you want to do it. And then he he concludes the call with them. Okay, let's do lunch. Give my best to Max. Okay, bye. <laughs> and then he, in this booming voice, says, Don't you ever do that to me again. It's like, we never see Sneezer like that. He's pretty angry. Oh, thanks, Sneezer. We owe you. Big. Oh, and one last thing. Don't you ever do that to me again! Not ever! Right. <laughs> and now, I gotta blow! I... 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 So now, Sneezer's angry, but he's calmed Steven down. And I'm just gonna point out for, you know, if you don't know, Max is actually Steven Spielberg's eldest son. Uh, he, um... From his marriage to his first wife with Amy Irving, uh, Max Spielberg. Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah, well, and then Back that to was, the Future. I knew 3, you would know. Yeah, <laughs> Back to the Future Three. You got the marquee, and it's like Jaws, fifteen or something on the marquee, and it says directed by Max Spielberg. Ah. Yeah. So cool. I know. <laughs> what would you do without me? My <laughs> infinite knowledge. Uh, I probably have the number of the, the sequel wrong, though. I, I don't remember what number it was. But, yeah, Jaws something. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, because um, you see that, like, 3D Jaws come out of the, the yeah. marquee at that point. But, um, so they get on the phone with Steven, and he he's driving in the car. If we finally see him, and he's waving to Michelle Lee in the next car. She's an actress of that era. And I um, can't tell you off the top of my head what she was in. I want to say dynasty or something, but I 
could be wrong. That's actually from the eighties though. <laughs> and, um, I'm sure Joey will let us know. Yeah, I'll look it up. And, right now. <laughs> so, uh, he's waving to people in the next car driving. He's got like an actual TV in his car because hello, Steven Spielberg. And it's on his car phone. And, um, he said that the line quality is all wrong. It's too thick. So they adjust it. And then he says, you know, it needs to be at night. We need the characters in their night colors. So that gets adjusted. You see all these little paintbrushes going on. And he's like, we shadows. We need more shadows. More, more, more shadows. Lots of shadows. And then all you can see are their eyes blinking in the, <laughs> the darkness. And I said, is this good? And he's like, yeah. So then he actually gives some directions. He's talking about like handheld truncating, you know, like imitating running and you know, build up the dramatic tension and, and all that. So that's really exciting. And um, they run through a log and then they're going to fall off the cliff. And he says that we've done the cliff thing to death. We don't want to do that anymore. So Buster gets the idea to draw a, um, a railroad track. And then uh, the train comes and runs over the foxes. And so Stephen really likes that. How about this? Not bad, not bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Okay. Whose idea was that? Yours, Steven. Yours. Really? Good. It feels special. All right. Now, truck in fast on their faces, then bam. Oh, and then Buster and Babs ride in on a hand car and then hit them again. I love this. Oops, forgot about the cliff. Okay, Stephen, what happens next? Listen, I gotta run, guys. Carrie Fisher's calling from Paris. So they end up falling off the cliff, and then they're smooshed on the ground, and Stephen's like, yeah, that, that fall was a little weak. You know, can we do it again? But then, uh, and, and then he's like, well, no, no, but before that, though, he says that he's gonna get off the phone because Carrie Fisher is calling from Paris. <laughs> May she rest in peace. We all know Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. And the funny thing is, the fact that she's calling from Paris is hilarious because I'm going to bring in another Young Indiana Jones reference here. Carrie Fisher wrote the Young Indiana Jones episode Paris 1916. Wow. Where Young Indy met Mata Hari. And it was a big pivotal moment in um, Young Indiana Jones' life. Watch the episode if you want to know why. But, um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty big episode for for Young Indy. So um, I thought that was just funny. I It's probably unintentional, but who knows? So Carrie Fisher Paris, we got that. And um and so <laughs> bad is just going, Oh, we can't keep Carrie waiting, Paris the thought as she's falling. <laughs> so then they get smushed on the ground. And then Steven says that the fall was weak, he wants to do it again. And then the next thing you know, they have brought him in magically from his car. And um then the uh, foxes start chasing him. Yes, and so they got kind of revenge on their boss, basically, at the end. Poor that Steven. Was not funny. It was not funny. I mean, for some people it might be, but I think it was funny. But but up until then, it was hilarious. And he has his license plate that says SS for Steven Spielberg. And... Yeah, and there's even the little uh, E.T. Uh, Amblin, uh, you know, bike, I think was like uh, the... Uh, at the hood of his car, you can kind of see it uh, through the windshield through some shots, which was kind of cool. Steven Spielberg, let me tell you, the ultimate in uh, multitasking in this. He's on his car phone <laughs> while watching TV uh, and waving to celebrities at the same time. Uh, Kids, don't do that at home. Do not do this at home. And, of course, this is back in the 90s when having a phone in your car was you had to be rich if you had a phone in your car. But, um, hey, and hey, there's no rules against uh, talking on the phone while driving back then. No hands-free laws or anything like that. Um, who knows? Maybe that there's, there are so many hands-free laws now in California because of Steven Spielberg. We will never <laughs> know. Uh, but I suppose the, the main thing we should point out – oh, by the way, I looked up uh, – what was her name here again? Michelle Lee. Michelle Lee. The thing she's, I think, most no, most known for is Knots Landing. Oh, uh, I said Dynasty. I was close. Yeah. I about this yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I suppose the big, the biggest reference, of course, is 
this is based off of a true story. Yes, in case you didn't know, in case you haven't been listening to us that long, this is all based upon when Steven Spielberg actually called Tom Ruger, and I believe I, Sherry Stoner was there as well, I believe, and they were he was giving them notes about uh, some of the animation that uh, he had been seeing. So, And as he was talking to them from his car phone, he was talking, he was seeing people in other cars and saying, hey, there's so-and-so. I think uh, the best thing for me to do would be to do something I don't think we've ever done on the show before, which is to play a... Call Steven Spielberg! No! no. <laughs> I wish. From the 405. From the 405. No, what we're going to do is we're going to play a, a flashback of our own episode. Let's hear Tom Ruger talk about what happened. Uh, that was one of the later episodes of Tiny Toons, a phone call from the 405, and it was based on an actual phone call uh, received uh, from Stephen. Now, uh, and Cherry Stoner and I were, uh, were in the office, and we took this call. It was about four in the afternoon, and uh, it was about another episode that Stephen had just watched on video. Uh, so he had, uh, he had watched that. Then he got in his car with the storyboard, and I can only imagine. I, I was under the impression that he was driving, and I, I contend that he was driving. <laughs> and he was, uh, in my opinion, multitasking uh, uh, to a great degree. So now I don't know if the phone was one of these things where you're holding it to your ear or it was in the steering column. But anyway, he's on the phone with us. Hey, Tom, hi, I'm, I'm on the 405. I'm going south on the 405. Uh, Listen, I want to go over some of these, uh, one of the, the cartoons you sent over this morning. Uh, the line quality is way too thick. You got to get that fixed. And uh, so anyway, it was, it was a conversation like that. So I had him on the speakerphone, and Stoner and I are writing down the notes that uh, Stephen is giving us. And uh, so uh, then he starts giving us notes on the storyboard that we had sent him the night before. And we can hear him flipping the, <laughs> he's flipping the pages as he's driving on his phone. And he's flipping the pages. Now, now look at this this pan here. This pan is taking way too long. It's taking way too Just put the whole scene in one master shot. Then you don't have to do the pan because the pan's just wasting time. And uh, so we get that. Now, so then he goes back to the footage. And he says, now, I've told you from uh, when the stuff that we're getting from ACOM in South Korea has great shadows on it, beautiful shadows. There's shadow on every, there's a core shadow on every character. Now, this cartoon here, uh, this is not from uh, ACOM because there are no shadows. Now, I need shadow. I need bigger shadow, more shadow, lots of shadows. And uh, so... And we're saying, okay, more shadows. We're gonna uh, gonna add shadows. We're gonna call the overseas studio. We're gonna call, and then, right when we're kind of responding to him, he says, "Hey, Michelle, how you doing? Hi." <laughs> we're like, "What? What is he doing?" It, it, it turns out that Michelle Lee, the actress, was driving past in another car. <laughs> Stephen. He's not busy enough driving, looking at the storyboard on the phone, but he's all looking out the window at people going by. Hey, Michelle. Hi. <laughs> so that's uh, my entire story. Uh, you know, it, it's just uh, the guy. The guy is a busy, uh, creative guy. He really is busy. Yeah, that and that I was just rewatching phone call from the 405 a few weeks ago and yeah, that that whole conversation was pretty much verbatim put into the cartoon, it was. wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely verbatim. I love at the end he's like and Carrie Fisher's on the other line. I got to go. Bye. Oh. There there that was the end. That was the end of the con- phone call. Oh, really? And oh, really? Fisher as you I I think you know, she was uh for many years uh his script doctor. Script doctor. Mhm. He script doctored uh, many of his films during that period. Hook was one. Well, but she needed a specialist on that one. <laughs> I love Hook. It's great. 
Nice. You know we've gotten big when we're like quoting ourselves. I know. <laughs> Self-referential. <laughs> and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I was just listening to an episode where we actually I was I was listening to a random episode the other day of in our back catalog and Harrison Ford appeared on our our show. It oh, was, I love that episode. That was so, we could have him again. <laughs> well, we never you never know. Might happen. It's one hard, day. yeah. He has a big schedule of things, but he does, you know, he will be, um, does he promote movies he's not in, Star Wars? <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll promote episode nine, because he... Because that's coming out. You don't year, know his so contract. Want to promote that. I mean, sure, Han Solo died, but he might just be there to promote, you know, the movie anyway. It might be, you never know how these contracts work. <laughs> well... Let's go ahead and talk about. It. I mean, the, so we talked about the, the the references and everything, but uh, Kelly, I'm going to get to you last uh, because you have probably the most to say about it. But Nathan, what were some things you really liked about this uh, this cartoon? Um, really like that the wraparound like wraps right into this episode like seamlessly. Yeah. It's like I, I just thought that was really awesome. Um, and it, I liked uh, the phone call from the 405. <laughs> uh, from Steven Spielberg, <laughs> he's uh, uh, seeing like I like there's cars crashing around him and everything. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't even see that. That's funny. Here's what we want: we want you to kind of smile as you see from like a POV shot. Kelly, let's go ahead and get to it. What? What? Why do you love a uh, phone call from the four or five so much? What stood out? What as a kid, like you know, memories of it, stuff like that? What do you think? Um, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> So, uh, what are your memories of seeing this as a kid? Um, well, I mean, I was a teenager. Well, still, I'm, I'm saying I, you're a kid. I, I, I probably wrote about it in my diary. Um, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I, I'll have to go back and. Yeah, we need to hear these diary entries. I want to hear these diary entries. Well, uh, yeah. we're, we're we're planning on special segments one of these days when <laughs> Kelly can dig up her old diary entries. And, yeah, uh, her I, I reflections talk about, like, of Animaniacs yeah. and Tiny Toons. Yeah, I talk about Steven Spielberg a lot. Um, in pink and, and purple writing. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> so, um, no, I I think it was just the unexpectedness of it. Because I'm pretty sure this came out before Animaniacs, right? It was, oh, yeah, yeah. You said, we said it was like 92. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and I think this one came out before that other, um, where Steven actually voiced his own voice. Yes. Um, so, so this is the first cartoon to actually have Steven Spielberg and it was so unexpected. And it was probably one of those things where I was like doing my homework or something and halfway paying attention. And then this pops on and I'm like, Oh my God, Steven Spielberg. And of course then I'm riveted. And, uh, I just thought it was so funny and how he's directing the show and um, really par- part of the, the animation of of Tiny Toons now. I mean, he's, he's part of that world now. And uh, I just and I thought he was so cute, you know, just in his little hat and his shirt and talking to Carrie Fisher. And, and of course, I love the I mean, it's not a direct Star Wars reference, but it's Carrie Fisher, so that means Star Wars. <laughs> and um, and uh, and I got the Young Indy connection too at that point, um, because Young Indy had we said ninety two, so it was already like most of the show was probably already over by that time because it aired in, in March originally in ninety two. So um, uh, I just thought it was funny. He was he was funny and quirky and more shadows. We need more shadows. <laughs> well, yeah, it was nice to see like you know how Steven Spielberg really took this show seriously, though. You know, he did it. it if his name was going to be on it, uh, he wanted to make sure that it was quality. And it was just so interesting to hear you know from from Tom and from like Otto Payton and. Uh, other you know people behind the show how how busy he was at that time and uh with you know with tiny tunes and animate and then animaniacs and he was you know making like movies like hook and and of course schindler's list and and jurassic park these are huge monumental films 
and to be able to get like all these animated series as well at the same time it's incredibly impressive to have all those different balls to to juggle and you know to be able to trust you know he obviously trusted the right people to work on these shows that he could go and check in on them uh from time to time to make sure that things were were working and like you know tom ruger said his main job at warner brothers was what to make steven happy (laughs) (laughs) that was their main thing so that you know when they they had to go fly you know to overseas the very next day to go talk to the animation departments in these places about how they're going to improve the animation because steven didn't like it this uh what they saw so very interesting very interesting to see how uh involved he'll be in this uh upcoming reboot of animaniacs as well um yeah so let's go ahead and get to our water tower rating well what do you guys think out of five water towers how many would you give today's episode of tiny tune adventures nathan let's start with you oh boy okay um well i mean this is only the second one that i've seen recently so (laughs) yeah um you know uh i i'm gonna say four and a half i assume i think there's gonna be even better ones i think i don't really know because but if the if not then four and a half will be my five at the end but I'm going to say four and a half. Um, and I guess there was just like some slow parts in the middle-ish. And it made me kind of sad. Um, I really did laugh, though, when she said they're going to Utah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's just been so much hype on this that um, it was hard to, you know, uh, exceed those expectations. So I was like, yeah, it was a really good episode. So uh, I'll just I say four and a half. Hyped it up. So. I know someone hyped it up. So if um if that's not high enough for someone, it's their fault for oh. hyping it up too much. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go in the middle this time because uh yeah I, we all I think we all know what's happening at the end. Uh, but I'm gonna give this one. I'm just gonna give this three and a half, and that's only because the first two segments were eh okay. They weren't as funny as they could have been. Uh, and I do remember other Tiny Toon episodes that, in my opinion, were a lot more, a lot stronger as a whole uh, for me. But so I'm going to say three and a half. I phone call from the 405. I think obviously stands out above, above and beyond as a memorable and funny, uh, you know, segment. But uh, as a whole, I'm going to give it three and a half. And Kelly, what about you? Okay, so. This episode for me is called Phone Call from the 405. There is no other part of the episode because, A, I, I didn't remember the other two segments at all when I rewatched them. <laughs> and um, B, that it, it, that is the episode. So based on that, uh, five stars. <laughs> right. <laughs> five water towers. From Kelly. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I always do that. Yeah. Five water towers. You ever hear stars? Can I give it stars too? Yeah, five, five, stars five. And five water towers. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Well, before we wrap things up, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to talk about next week. It's a Pinky in the Brain episode. Now, last time we talked about Pinky in the Brain, we talked about the uh, Das Mouse. But uh, And we could go anywhere in the timeline. But since it's my pick, I'm just going to say the next episode. Episode two <laughs> of Pinky and the Brain. I was, I was all on the edge of my seat. I didn't know what. <laughs> anywhere I want to do, and I didn't. Uh, yeah, we're just going to go to the next one, which is Of Mouse and Man, which uh, involves the brain uh, getting a job in the real world. He has to go to is it great adventure in... Business in business. <laughs> You'll love business. business. <laughs> Sam the Eagle. Yes. And if you don't know what movie that is from, ladies and gentlemen, well, you need to listen to us more often to find out because I think we mention that movie about every third episode, I think. So. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, so that'll be next week. So uh, tune in and uh, we'll talk about Pinky in the Brain. Let's go ahead and get to our contact information. Nathan, where can people get in contact with you online? 
Well, Joey, I'm on Twitter, uh, JangoFT. That's me. I've got so many followers. I just had a birthday recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I got so many more followers. You can be one of the new followers that are following me. It's yeah, you had like so amazing. You had like five or five more followers or something like that. It was yeah. Ooh. Wow. I know. I was. I almost doubled my numbers. I, uh, well. <laughs> Speaking of, no, no, I'm, I'm up over sixty now. So. Yeah, woo woo woo. Well, maybe you'll be number seventy. Get over hey. there, Django FT. That's him. That's me. <laughs> uh, and speaking of high numbers, uh, Facebook Animaniacast just hit over nine hundred likes. Nine, over nine hundred people like us, guys. Isn't that great? Anyway. Kelly, where can people get in contact with you online? I'm on Twitter at Yoda Princess, Y-O-D-A-P-R-N-C-S-S. And also you can email me, Kelly, at BigShinyRobot.com. Always willing to talk about Spielberg, whatever time it is. I was about to say you can email me and we can talk about Steven. <laughs> well, as for the Animaniacast, we are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And of course, hey, a great way to get in contact with us and hang out and just talk about whatever is to go over to the Discord channel and you can find a welcome link to our Discord uh, RetroZap account by going to discord.animaniacast.com and there you'll be able to talk to us, the hosts of the Animaniacast, as well as other hosts of other RetroZap podcasts such as the ARGcast, Bruising Blasters, all of the superhero uh, podcasts, the Deuce Cast, the uh, movie show, the Dork Lair, Dune Cast, a lot of Dune news coming out, Kanata's Castle, Starship Sabres and Scoundrels, Techno Retro Dads, Warp Trails, and for all of you Game of Thrones fans out there, there's We Know Nothing. So, whether, whether it's Star Wars or just anything in pop culture, RetroZap.com has you covered and has a ton of great podcasts that you should listen to, so you sub- should subscribe to the RetroZap feed on your favorite podcast player. You can get this podcast, as well as all the other RetroZap podcasts, delivered straight to your device for no money whatsoever. Completely free. It's amazing. Well, that'll do it for today's episode, so for Nathan and Kelly, this is Joey saying, Good night, everybody! Good night, everybody! Good night, everybody! This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures, Freakazoid, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacast unless otherwise indicated. And, and we need shadows. We need more shadows. Just, just, just you know, just more shadows. More, more, more shadows. I, I want lots and lots of shadows. Period. <laughs> <laughs>